0: When we are in a place of trial, when we're in a place of persecution, it's easy to think that we are in enemy land or behind enemy lines. And, and while we are in enemy hands or behind enemy lines, that is still God's domain. He is still sovereign over that. And so as we look this morning at a passage that, that we've been taught since childhood, and it's been one of the, the uh, Sunday school passages we've always talked about, we're going to see some things in this passage, I believe, that are going to be of great encouragement to us. It is going to strengthen us to look at some of these things. There are some amazing miracles in this, but there is also an example for how we need to live our lives. And Daniel's position, you know, it would have been understandable for him to be suspicious of literally everybody and watching around his, you know, every corner and and watching his back and all those kinds of things because there really were people plotting on him. And, and, And we... We, we have seen you know, examples of people in the past that have been so, uh, I guess, paranoid or whatever. That there's always somebody out to get them or some trouble right around the corner. Well, Daniel did not live like that. He actually lived with peace. He lived um, in, in in reasonable security, even though he was everything that the people in Persia were not. So, so Daniel was monotheistic. These people were uh, very much paganistic, polytheistic. They believed in many gods and could worship virtually anything and be satisfied. Whereas David, I mean, Daniel could only worship the one true God, he was in exile where most of them would have been part of the people. Daniel was separate, not just in his ethnicity, but also in his way of life and who he was. His identity was that of an exile, although he was exalted. When we think about the fact that Daniel was lifted up by every, you know, royal person that dealt with him, Daniel was elevated. He was, he was being lifted up even more, and so that's really, really uh, interesting to see that. So Daniel should have been afraid of those around him by worldly standards, but he wasn't because he knew that even in that, he lived for God. So he lives his life for God no concerns. And, and there really are people that are plotting against him, but he didn't live with that concern. He focused on the Lord and allowed the Lord to protect him the way that, that, that God truly does. You know, And we will do well not to concern ourselves with the world or the schemes that the world has for us, but rather to trust in the power of God. This is a very important lesson for us as Christians and believers. Trust in the power of God. Even when you're in that valley of shadow of death, or the, the, the danger can be all around us. But we must trust in, in the Lord because He will be there for us. The, Lord, the sermon of the sentence is this. The Lord will always be with us, especially if we are counted worthy to suffer for His sake. Now... Probably all of your life you've heard pastors talk about suffering for Jesus and things along those lines. And in America, that has not necessarily been a major theme or at least a major thing that the church has had to go through. But I don't think we're a long ways from that. And in fact, if we really truly stand on what Scripture teaches, all of what Scripture teaches, we could probably find ourselves in persecution in a very short period of time. And so we need to be aware of the fact that if we fully live out our faith before the world in a way that contrasts with what they believe and what they want, we are going to find ourselves in a place of suffering, and we need to realize that God's going to be with us. He is going to strengthen us, and that if we do suffer for the cause of Christ, that is a privilege, biblically speaking. So we are going to read Daniel chapter 6, uh, all of it, so verse 1 through verse 28, and, uh, and then we'll kind of get into to this, this passage and see what the Lord has to say for us. It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, "...it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss." Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So there were 120 satraps, or like provincial rulers, leaders. And then above those were three overseers. Well, Daniel distinguished himself even over the three rulers. And so the king had decided to set him over the three so daniel was going to become the supervisor of all the 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 bureaucracy all of the power in that empire was going to go straight through daniel that was the plan and that's how well daniel was doing So in verse 4 it says, Then the high officials and the satraps, and we don't have to understand that it was all of them, but many of them, or some of them, a, a group anyway, Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no grounds for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king! Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Then the king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, Pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that It is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den... The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be Uh, shall be to the end he delivers and rescues he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian okay so as we get into this, the first thing we're going to be looking at is how Daniel managed to live as a pilgrim in this, this really strange uh, land, in the strange situation that he was in. Um, by the events that take place in this passage, Daniel would have lived in exile for nearly 70 years. Um, he would have outlasted at least three kings and one empire. Because remember when we started this, he, he was an exile uh, in, in Babylon as a um, Babylon, as a Jewish exile to the empire of Babylon. But now he lives in the empire that was, that was kind of forming, because you had the Medes and the Persians who were a separate thing, and as they were kind of blending together, he was in that empire. And so he has survived a lot. You know, considering the, the service that, that Daniel had paid to the Babylonians, you would think that maybe he's getting ready to retire. Maybe at this point when the Medes and Persians took over, he would just try to fade into the sunset. But not only was Daniel not ready to retire, but he was actually still receiving promotions. Technically... If you'll remember what Belshazzar promised Daniel in, in the last passage where he said you'll be third ruler in the kingdom, Daniel was one of the three overseers of the 120 satraps. He received the promise that Belshazzar had made to him except it was in a different empire and he was even rising from that. That was, that was Darius' plan was for Daniel to rise even further from that. So... Daniel was living well in this pagan culture without being shaped by it, which is a vital lesson for us to learn. You ask the question, D- is, has America become a fully paganized culture? And I would say yes. It doesn't look the same as ancient cultures where they had idols and and gods and things that they worshipped and and all the temples and things like that. But there are many, many different things that are worshipped in America today. And and there are things that that are so subtle and so tricky because we have been in this culture we haven't seen it the way that we should see it. There are many different pitfalls that I think make this a very pagan culture that we live in nowadays. And and we've we've got to watch out for that. You know... Daniel could live this holy and clean life while still being more successful than any of his other peers. Because remember, the king is wanting to elevate him even more. Now, you have to understand that this would have created a tremendous amount of jealousy. And, and, and that's what this, this is motivated by. This is, this is not religious persecution for, because people hate his religion. This is persecution against Daniel because Daniel has received the blessing of God. And they're jealous of that. They are jealous of the blessings that God has poured out on Daniel... And so they are trying to remove Daniel so that they might receive some of those same blessings. And they probably didn't see it as the blessings coming from God. They would have understood it coming from, the, from what we know to be the lesser power, Darius himself. But they saw that jealousy, and they hated him. They wanted his titles, and they wanted his life. And so that was kind of the goal there, was to take, take that away from him. But you see, Daniel was careful. Daniel was careful both in his religious walk, in other words, he served the Lord consistently and faithfully all of his life, but he was also careful in his professional life. He was perfect. He was blameless. They didn't find anything that was wrong with him. He didn't overlook anything. He didn't make the mistakes that that maybe some others made. He certainly didn't take any excesses. And you have to understand that, that if everybody took advantage of the situation... That would have been okay, but if Daniel took, t- took advantage of his power and his position and situation, then we wouldn't have the story of Daniel on the lion's end because he, was n- he, he would not have been as careful. But he was careful in everything that he did to walk according to the Lord. Walking in that kind of obedience to God and at the same time the obedience to man that doesn't contradict God, that is what Daniel was good at. And because of that, he was able to live a life they literally couldn't find anything wrong with him. They could not find anything to accuse him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the people that sought to tear us down despaired for finding any evidence against us or anything to actually attack us? The people that were accusing Daniel knew that the only way they were going to get him was to make something that was a law of God or at least in Daniel's eyes a law of God, illegal. And so that's what they chose to do. This trap was designed to catch Daniel and Daniel alone. And Daniel knew that there was no way for him to escape this trap because Daniel would have known what was going on. He knew there was no way for him to escape this trap and still be faithful to the Lord. Here's what I want to remind you. Daniel was not the only exile. Daniel was not the only Jew. He was not the only person that came from Jerusalem that was still part kind of attached to this empire. But this was for Daniel. Were there other Jews who were being faithful and living for the Lord? Hopefully, probably. This one was for Daniel. So they didn't go out and see all the Jews. They went out and they went after Daniel. It was specific, it was pointed, and it was because of his faithfulness and it was because of the way that he had been blessed. Here's what I will say. It is sad that these hateful pagans know better than the modern church does that people that follow God can't worship other things. It is sad that these hateful pagans knew the contradiction that that ought to create in a a believer of God's life. Because when you look at the modern church, there is a lot that goes on beyond beyond anything that, that, that you might say, well, maybe they're just a little confused, or maybe that's just how they worship. There is, there is outright paganism in a lot of ways in the modern church. All you've got to do is look up something like progressive Christianity or something along those lines. You can see that there are churches that, that not only say, we love the LGBT community, which do we love those folks? Well, yeah, we, we, we love the, the, the sinners, but we hate the sin. They accept it. They encourage it. They invite it. Progressive Christianity is not just that. It is much, much more than that. But let me tell you that... Those kinds of churches are going to be just fine in this America. Those kinds of churches are, are, are going to thrive. Those kinds of churches will be okay. But the, it won't be because of the blessing of God. It'll be because of the blessing of man, which we don't have any desire for. These hateful pagans knew that if Daniel was forced to either pray to God and face death or pray to the king and disappoint his God... That he would choose his God every time. He would pray to the Lord and choose death. They knew the impossible contradiction that it would put him in, and they knew what he would choose. What if today Christians were told, worship God and die, or worship this other thing and live? What would we do? Would we bow? Would we make that mistake? Would we make that stumble? What are some of the idols? We, we talk about the easy ones all the time, fame and money and things like that. Has, has science in our culture become an idol? Has actually life, like preserving life above everything else, has that become an idol in, in our culture? What all has become idols and what all has people worshipped and what all kinds of contradictions have they put Christians into where if we do the thing that the whole world wants us to do, we will disappoint our God. What all has become idols? And what all kinds of challenges are we now facing? In what ways are we depending more on the world than we are on the Lord and His Word and His power? Those are the kinds of situations that Daniel found himself in. Because when we look at this and we look at Daniel's situation, we think, oh, well, you know, I mean, that's just, that, that, that's obvious. You can't pray to the king. You've got to pray to God. But you have to realize that in his world, in that particular culture, the king was a god. So for almost everybody else, that would have been a no-brainer. Okay, we'll just pray to the king. We can only pray to the king, we'll pray to the king. But for Daniel, he saw that contradiction. And my prayer and my hope is for us as believers in this 21st century that we see the contradictions that are facing us. That we see the things that are against God. We see the paganism. We see the devil in the things that that are happening. We need to know that and recognize that and, and reserve our faith and our love and our hope and our trust in only God. Nothing else can save us. Absolutely nothing else can save us. But God can. Our faithful service to God will eventually lead to trouble with the world. And we need to be sure that is the only entanglement of the wor- world that we will have. And so what I mean by that is we need to remember that for their laws, as long as it doesn't contradict God, we've got to obey their laws. The, the way that, that, that we live, we need to live like Daniel, where according to the laws that were on the books, he broke none of them. He was faithful, he, he was honest, he operated with integrity. It's possible because technically he would be something like a politician. It's possible he's the only uncorrupt politician in the history of the world. But he was a politician. They dug into his life and couldn't find anything and had to catch him praying to God. Heaven forbid if we could catch our politicians praying to God. That would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? That that we would find them praying and that would be the problem the world had? I'd march for that one. You know, what we have to realize is that in this world today, it is so easy to have entanglements that compromise us. We don't need to have those. Daniel didn't have those. No entanglement he had compromised him. The only entanglement he had with the world was the fact that he believed in the one true God and they believed in many others. And these guys, they weren't after his religion. They were after him, but they used his religion to get to him because they knew that Daniel was so immovable, so unshakable, that if they put a trap that involved him serve God or serve man, he would always serve God, so they knew how to get him. I would love for that to be true of each and every one of us, that people knew the only way you'll ever get them is by putting them in, an, in a situation where they are got to choose God or the world, and we know they'll choose God. We could go down for that. We, we, could, we could be counted worthy to suffer for Christ for that, that would be a wonderful thing. But I want to show you some things about Daniel here. Okay, so as we keep going through this passage, obviously, you know, Daniel goes and he prays, just like he always did. And some people might would say, so for Daniel, as he persists in prayer, could he not persist in prayer, but yet maybe not pray right in front of the window? Maybe he could back away from the window enough to where nobody outside could see him pray, and then he could pray. Well, for Daniel, he understood that at this point, because that was his practice, that was his habit, that was what he had been doing, it was what he had chosen to do to honor the Lord. If he changed at that moment, it would be a compromise. And so, how many times have we heard people say, well, we've got to adapt the way that we serve now because the world has changed. Well, the world changed, and Daniel continued to serve God in the faithful way he always had. It cost him... But at the same time, it it brought him amazing victory and, and brought glory to God's name. Do we really have to change the way we serve God because the world says we do? No, because the world is not our God, does not command us. Daniel knew at this moment to change things would be a compromise, so he persisted in prayer. And what we don't see in the passage is that Daniel got down in that same prayer bench and prayed, but begged for his life to be spared. He gave thanks. He turned to Jerusalem. He prayed to God and he gave thanks. We don't see Daniel begging for his life. We don't see Daniel asking for protection. He knows the protection is there. He knows God is going to be there for him. He just gives thanks, just like he always had. You know, when we think about this, the world... We'll start to change the rules so that they can trap us. We, we know that. And, and, and the world has already begun changing the rules so that they can trap us. We're aware of those things. We can't deviate. We can't change. Don't listen. If someone says a church is on the cutting edge of culture, I heard that this week, and it, it made every hair on my neck stand up. We don't need to be on the cutting edge of culture. We don't, we don't need to be out there on that leading edge where we need to be is in the center of Scripture. The thing is, when people say, well, we've got to meet him halfway, God has already met us more than halfway. He has come more than halfway by sending His Son Jesus to this earth to die for us. He's come as far as He's going to come. At this point, you come to the cross. Don't expect us to come to whatever sin there is. You come to the cross because the cross is there. For, that is our halfway point. We don't go further than the cross. We don't, we don't agree with sin. We don't accept sin. We don't, we don't let people live in sin. We draw that line there and say, come to the cross and there you'll find redemption. There is no other middle ground and there is no other way we can give or compromise at that particular point. Daniel prayed three times a day and in that prayer life, I believe he found the strength to face his challengers that, that were coming after him. They had set the trap. They were ready. We should know by now that the world is our enemy and it will attack us through our faith. I hope our faith is strong enough that that's what they attack. But we know that they will attack our faith. We must continue in prayer and face the challenge without fear. Daniel does not display fear in anything that that he went through here. there's, There's no evidence that he begged or pleaded for his life. He just rode down into the lion's den just as, that's as, as, as com- all we see. We don't see anything else. And so he went down there knowing that God was with him one way or the other. I believe he had the same sort of attitude that we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they said, our God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, just know that he is our God and, and you are just a man. So I, I think that that was where Daniel was. So looking at this law of Medes and Persians, slight bit of, I guess, history, culture, whatever, um, what we do know is that that was a... That was a thing. The way that the guys described it, it really was a thing that there was this irrevocable law. However, we have some examples that even though the law was irrevocable, it could be superseded by a new edict or a new thing. So, for example, um, with Daniel, as soon as as this episode was over, he made a new edict that superseded that where he told people, you fear this God. In in the book of Esther, for example, the law of Medes and Persians was used again to try to get the Jews... uh, Uh, persecuted, if you remember that, or actually killed, if you remember that episode. And then the king turned around and made a different edict that the Jews could defend themselves and kill and take whatever from anybody that attacked them. So, yes, the law of Medes and Persians was a thing, but it was something that could have been reversed. So that helps us understand a little bit about Darius. So. Daniel's opponents, they wasted no time rushing to the king to say, hey, we've seen Daniel. And, and surely there were other Jews praying to the Lord. Daniel was not the only faithful Jew, but he was the target. So they reminded the king of his decree, and I would assume that they got him to convinced at this sometime in the morning, and by lunch they had caught Daniel. That, that's what I believe in. So, I mean, it was almost immediate. They didn't need to remind the king of his own edict or anything like that, but they did. Now, the king did spend all day trying to think about it. So what was he trying to do during this time? What was he doing to seek a way to save the life of Daniel? Maybe he was trying to decide if he wanted to do another edict to kind of reverse that. But the challenge is is that makes him a weaker leader because he's going back and forth. Whatever he did or thought about doing, whatever options he weighed, he decided to stick with this law, to stick with this. So is Darius a, a good man? Probably he is a good man, but he's not a godly man. And I think that's an important distinction that we need to recognize. He was, he was good, but he was willing to be worshipped. He was willing to be prayed to. He was willing to have this edict made because it worked with his ego. So we do have to remember that about Darius as, as we look at this guy. And so at the end of the day, he agreed to have Daniel lowered into the lion's den. This is something that he did choose to do. Um, the stone was placed over the lion's den... And, and, and his signet or his seal was placed on that stone. You could not get a more obvious reference to the later burial of Jesus himself than, than what you see here. Because remember, they rolled a stone over Jesus' tomb and there was the signet of Caesar over it. And, and what we knew is that the, Jesus had suffered, he had died, but that wasn't going to remain because God was going to resurrect him here. In Daniel, yes, he's going through a suffering, but God is going to bring him up, and it and, is and setting this pattern. It is setting this pattern that God will be with us, that He will go through this this trial with us, and He will bring us out on the other side. Interestingly enough, the last thing that Darius says to Daniel before the stone is rolled away is, May your God, the one that you serve continually, deliver you from out of the power of the lions. And so we see there that that Darius had hope in God because he knew that he could not help him. So the reality is, if you place your trust in the world, if you do trust the world, they can't help you. But if we place our trust in God, he can help us. You know, suffering in the life of a believer is inevitable, but by God's faithfulness, we know that He will bring us through these trials. His presence in our trials is more certain than if we have trials. Some Christians may not go through the same kind of trials that Daniel did or, or, or the, the, the suffering that Jesus had to endure, but if, if we do, it is absolutely certain that God Himself will be there with us. So let's look at the way that God actually preserved Daniel through this thing. So what we know is that the king spent this sleepless night. He was fasting, he was, he was praying, to whom it didn't really say, but he was waiting for, for Daniel. He didn't receive any diversion, so he didn't receive any entertainment, he didn't receive any food. Nobody came in to talk to the king, he was just waiting. And he rushed to the lion's den at daybreak. He calls out, and, and, and Daniel, he answered ...with this joyful news. And I do want to point out the difference in the way that Daniel speaks to Darius... ...versus the way that he spoke to Belshazzar. Because with Belshazzar there was not that respect. He didn't say, O king, live forever. He said that to Nebuchadnezzar and he said that to Darius. But he didn't say it to Belshazzar. So we see that Daniel understood Darius... ...and understood that Darius was in a position that he wasn't familiar with. And and I don't think Daniel expected Darius to be a believer in God... ...but he was a decent person that did care about Daniel... So when Daniel calls out, he answers with this joyful news that he had been saved by the hand of the angel of God because he had been found blameless. And that's probably the biggest point I want to make to you right there is that that den, we know that den was for lions. And we know that those lions were vicious because later we see that they are murderous lions. But in that moment, that den didn't belong to lions. It didn't belong to Daniel. It belonged to God. Wherever you might find yourself, in whatever kind of suffering or challenge you might find yourself, you may say, if I make this stand for God, it's going to cost me. Whatever that is, you have to understand that that place where you choose to suffer, that is God's domain. It belongs to Him. Now, some people are going to suffer. We have have probably at this point millions of martyrs, people that have died for their belief, for their faith. There are people that die for following Jesus and following Him faithfully. We know that. And so not everybody is going to see an angel close the mouth of a lion. But I promise you that every person that has truly died for the cause of Christ, God has been there with them. He has given them the strength. I have this, this, this book that tells stories of martyrs. I stole it from Amanda. And it, and it tells all of these wonderful stories of people that they go through this suffering and they go through this, but they go through it with joy. Sometimes they're singing hymns as they're being slowly executed or tortured for the cause of Christ. And, and we know that people don't have that kind of strength, but God puts it in them. And so that's, that's the point here, is that even in this den of lions, that was God's domain. And we have to recognize that when we live. Now, once Daniel was out of harm's way... This was Darius's order, and I don't think that Daniel loved this, and I don't think that Darius really loved this, but not only were the, the high-ranking officials and the satraps that were involved in this, this attempt to, to deface Daniel, they were thrown into the lion's den along with their children and their wives. This is a horrible thing. I think that Darius was actually being expedient in the world's way because if the men had been thrown in and their children had been allowed to survive, their children would seek revenge or what have you. Darius did did this very expedient. It's horrible and, it, and it's not something that he would have enjoyed and certainly something that Daniel would not have asked for or wanted in any stretch because God can continue to protect him. But I believe that's why Darius did what he did. Let's just get rid of the family line. Let's get rid of that. Pull, pull it up stem and root. And I think that's what he was working towards with that that situation. And that event shows us that those lions were in fact vicious and hungry. Now, The amazing work that God does in Daniel's life leads Darius to make a proclamation for his people. And this proclamation is, again, once again, just like Nebuchadnezzar, from a pagan king, this is as thorough as you are going to get. Whether you be a theologian, educated at the finest universities and seminaries we have, or like Darius who had seen firsthand the work of God, This is a phenomenal statement that he makes. In this, he brings up the fact that God is a living God, contrasting him with the idols and the representations of false gods that they had, that he endures forever. There is nothing temporary about our God. His kingdom will not be destroyed. The dominion that God has, there is no end to that. He delivers, he rescues, works signs and wonders in heaven And then he throws Daniel in there saying that he saved Daniel from the lion's den. So what we recognize about this statement is that Darius truly had an encounter with God. Did he start following God? Did he start serving God? We don't have record of that, but what we do know is that he saw God. Like he saw all the other gods, including himself. He saw all of those things that people worship and that they are helpless and that God stands above all of those things. And so what we have to do in our lives is to live that life that's so thoroughly contrast with the world... That even when the most powerful in the world come against us, they know that they have no chance. That there is something radically different by what is in us versus what is in the world. We have to understand that. Remember the New Testament says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to live that contrast. We need to make that thing shine so that people see there is, there is the people of God and they are untouchable by us. Even when we kill them, they continue to praise the name of their God. We need to be in that group. We need to stand like that because... The, the the world is evil it is full of horrible things and we have to live a way that stands against that you know we've always heard this old saying that you can't outgive god and we talk about that a lot at this church because God has been so faithful in this church. But it is also true that when you, you can't outrighteous God, you can't out-bless God, because when we are faithful to Him in the midst of our trials, we will not be able to count the number of blessings that He will pour on us. If you try to live righteously, God is going to double that in blessing. He is going to pour that on you. Now, this is not prosperity preaching, because some of those blessings might be when He lets you get thrown in the lion's then, He protects you. What I'm saying is that as we are faithfully following God, He will more, more than bless us for that. We will never, never live righteously and feel like God didn't bless us more than what we gave toward Him. So to wrap this up, there's a couple of things. It's important that we realize that the world is our enemy, and if they can't trap us in our sin, they will trap us in our faith. I encourage the latter. Don't get trapped in your sin. No matter what the sin is, no matter how small it is, no matter how trivial it is, no matter how universal it is among the rest of the world, they will look at you and single you out. We've seen examples of this where the whole world does something, but the wrong person does it, and they single that person out. And what I tell you is that in our world, that's going to happen. Truth does not matter. You are the enemy if you you stand for God. So we have to recognize that. Don't let them trap us in our sin. Make them trap us in our faith. When this happens, we cannot allow ourselves to falter because this is the critical time. Once the persecution starts, eyes go on us. People are watching. People are paying attention. Darius, king of Persia, worshipped by his people, stopped everything, prayed and fasted and waited to see what was going to happen with Daniel. At daybreak, running to the Lion's Den, we have to recognize that when we begin to be truly persecuted, eyes will be on us. People will be paying attention. How do Christians handle that? We may not experience a miraculous deliverance like Daniel. Instead, we may have to go the way of the cross like Jesus. Look, Daniel was preserved in the lion's den and Jesus was crucified. There's two drastic extremes there, but we have to recognize that somewhere in that, that might be our experience. Some kind of suffering like that, somewhere between miraculous deliverance to, to a crushing death. We may experience anything in between that or either one of those, but the reality is we have to live it as if we're serving God so that there is no, there is no faltering, there is, there is no, no time for defeat in our lives because we are not depending on ourselves, we're depending on God. And the thing that you have to remember is that either way, there is victory for us in trusting in the Lord because both Daniel and Jesus were sealed with the signet of the king and both of them came out alive. And so no matter what life we might live, no matter what God may choose to do in our life, there will be victory he will be with you. Whatever valley you might walk through, that is still God's sovereign domain. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time to gather together for a few minutes, and I do pray that you encourage us and remind us that we are in a war with this world. This world is fighting for the souls of mankind, and it seems as if it's winning, but we know that the church Will never be stopped so long as it's serving you. Let us serve you. Let us be faithful to you. And though they kill us, let us continue to rejoice in you. Let us be faithful to the very end. Let us force them into situations instead of allowing them to force us into situations. Let us be victorious on the battlefield through the power of you and your word. And by the power of the gospel that you have given to us in Christ Jesus, let us be those victorious saints that, that walk into heaven knowing that we have served our God. I pray that we would be in that group. I pray, Father, that we would never be among those who have compromised because it's easy in this world and it's tempting. But you hold us to a higher standard. You have called us to the holy places. Let us walk worthy of that calling. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.